This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Huzo. Huzo is an acronym for human sound. Huzo delivers uniquely enhanced human toning sounds through headphones as well as through pads placed on your major acupuncture meridians on your body, which are your wrist and your ankles, thereby introducing a specific modulated frequency that are balancing and harmonizing throughout your body. One session takes about 30 minutes, and during that time, a strange series of tones create a natural resonance in your body that Huzo claims counteracts the harmful EMFs, toxins, and stresses you are exposed to during the day or just normal living, all while balancing the body, leaving you with a clear head, improved health, better sleep, and the feeling of calmness and well-being. You can try one at www.thisishuzo.com slash rebel. Use the code rebel25 to save $25. The folks at Huzo even have a great payment solution for you with terms up to 12 months. Check it out. I highly recommend this machine. It has changed my life and calmed me out. Thank you and enjoy this episode. If you just wake up 15 minutes before you're supposed to, and you could just take that time and go out and put your feet in the sand or in the grass and get some sunlight on your face, it does miraculous things for your health and your well-being. Just miraculous things. And it gives you peace of mind when you hear the birds. You're realizing that life isn't a 24-hour news cycle. And that there are things out in nature that I need to appreciate. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. Today, I have the honor and privilege to sit down and chat with Mr. David Norrie about his latest book, Turned On. And I have to say, this book is quite amazing. And I highly suggest you grab a copy. David is a devoted husband, father, and entrepreneur, and the founder of Turned On a platform he created along with his wife, Angelique, to help preserve the lost art of face-to-face connection within the home, workplace, and faith community. He has more than 25 years' experience in all facets of communication, radio, video, newspaper, magazine, social media, and sales training. His columns on health and relationships were published in one of the seven largest newspapers in the country, He is co-author of the best-selling book, Faith into Abundance, 30 Stories of Faith from Successful Christian Entrepreneurs. In 2015, he founded Socially Speaking, an occupational training program designed to help professionals articulate their passions and products with a greater degree, charisma, and marketability. Over the course of his training, David observed how many of his clients and much of his society appeared to be moving farther from one another emotionally rather than closer together 
despite advancements in communication technology. This sparked a desire to create a revival of the spirit by emphasizing principles of basic communication, which could be easily incorporated into marital relationships, parenting, social gatherings. Identifying himself as a student of human interaction, his mission is to open the eyes of those people whose lives have been put on autopilot and make them aware to the disconnect that is rapidly happening in the boardrooms, bedrooms, living rooms, coffee shops, churches, and social media platforms. To help people stop watering down their ability to interact with one another and express themselves by being turned on, to see with new eyes and listen with new ears to the possibilities happening all around them. He hopes to restore the light to a world going dark. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did sitting down with David and recording this. Oh, David Nori, man. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast, man. Tom, I'm happy to be here. You know, like like we were just talking about, you and I go back quite a long ways. And uh, I'm so happy to see what you've done and what you're doing right now to change the world. And this is a real honor for me to be on your show. And I'm honored to have you. I mean, we do go back. I remember walking the streets of Brooklyn and talking to you on a cell phone. I think that was t- 10 years ago. Close to it, probably, yeah. yeah. So, and I've watched your children grow. I mean, I've watched the firstborn grow, now the second one growing, and you have a one growing in the stomach right now. That's right. We're going to have three girls. And it's ironic because what we're, we're, we're about to jump into, not to jump the gun, but what we're about to jump into is exactly kind of that, is, is how, how quickly kids grow and how quickly time passes us by. And, and we have to really make sure we're cognizant of, of holding on to the things in life that really matter. But we'll get into that, but it's just kind of ironic. Yeah. It's crazy because uh, congratulations on the new one too. Thank you. Yep, um, we're looking at a July baby, so uh, girl number three. So yep. not intended me for have women. So uh, here I go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't argue with him, man. No, man. I, I love the fact also we have you're a musicologist as I am. Oh, you. You know what? Even there. So in, in the book, there there are so many music. <laughs> There are blatant ones, Tom, and there are ones that maybe only a few people would get because that's the way my mind works. And if you're looking uh, right now behind me, I don't know if your audience probably on the radio, on the internet can't see, but I mean, I have, I have um, to my right, I have Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. To my left, I have uh, Louis Prima. I have John Coltrane, uh, Miles Davis. I have uh, Dave Brubeck. Uh, and then strictly right behind me, I yeah. have... Ones I have uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, and uh, soon to come is John Bonham. Yeah, I love the. I, that's your man cave. It is, and you have the best man cave ever. Oh, it's my it's my passion place, and and I again I I, I write in here, we do podcasts in here, and uh, sometimes I just come to decompress, and, I, and there's a lot of Elvis representation too. That cl- every time I see you in that room, that clock sticks out like a. Th- I had my mom had that clock. You know, you know what they had? They had the clock, and, and I, I don't know if you had it, but if if you were in a house back when we grew up, they had the big wooden spoon and the wooden fork. That was yes. like the Ames era uh, mod kind of decoration. That's called a starburst clock. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm looking forward to some David Noriisms here All today. Right. So I'm sure we're going to get our fill on that for sure. And I love let's I love your podcast. So let's start with. 
the podcast before we dig into your book, Turned On. And I want to go into who is David Norrie and what was your path that led into this world of health and wellness and now turned on? Okay. Well, that's a great question. And, and you know what? So from an early age, these are all things that are relevant. From an early age, if I remember praying, you know, hey, God, give me direction. What do you want me to do? I mean, I'm talking teenager and then you get into college and you know, you know, kids who are like, hey, I'm going to be a firefighter or I'm going to be a veterinarian or, you know, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer. And, and I just was like, I know I love people and I know I love entertainment. I love music. I love talking. Um, and for a while, I wanted to go into talk radio. And that's what I did in college. And then someone told me you can't make any money in it. So when I got out of college, I went into sales. But at the same time, I went right into, I went right into being a sports writer. I did my first article in probably 1995 on Little League Baseball. And I worked my way up. I spent most of my 20s at high school football games every Friday night trying to get somewhere because one day I wanted to write for the NFL. And then I finally got a, a gig covering college sports, University of Tampa. Um, and then I was in Tampa for a long time. And finally, I got to work on football. And I was just doing stats. And then I was doing interviews. And then next thing you know, I got hired by a company, uh, a magazine called The Pewter Report, covering uh, co- covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers exclusively. So every day I woke up and I went to Bucks training camp and that was my day. And that's when Gruden was coaching and, and the Bucks were Super Bowl contenders. And so I interviewed Gruden on a daily basis. Uh, all of my life I spent in the press box. I saw John Madden. I saw Al Michaels, all the great writers. And I thought, I'm finally here. I'm an NFL writer. This is what I worked so hard for the last 15 years to get to. And it wasn't all that I wanted. It just, it didn't pay great. You, you didn't like football as much as you thought you would, you know, because it became a job. And, um, and then it's just like, now what? What does God have for me in store? I have all this work that I've done. And now I realize this is for nothing. And it's funny because God will put you in a place sometimes you can't find until you get there. Like I just did our first Turned On Live event last year, Tom. And I'm on stage and I'm talking about the article that I wrote about heart disease, right? And I, and I there was a guy named Ray Knight. He used to play uh, for the Mets. And I interviewed him because I used to do a column. And the column for the newspaper was called Give Me 10. And it was all about health and fitness. So here I did this thing on heart disease and health. And then I did other columns on relationships. I did a column called He Said, She Said, which was all about how to have a, a relationship and some of the things that go on between men and women. And then I did a story one time for a magazine on Easter and what Jesus Christ meant to people of different religions. And then, of course, you know, I, I did stuff on, um, on careers and on business. So my whole premise was, guys, I've been doing this stuff for the last 20 years of my life, not knowing what direction it was going to go in. And I just realized here I am on stage with my life pointing exactly where God needed me to be. But we can't always see where he's pushing us. So if you can follow that story, the premise is I felt lost for most of my 20s and 30s. And I was doing different things, but nothing seemed to be clicking and coming together. And it wasn't until my 40s that all of it came together. And God said, this is where I've wanted you. I've been pruning you for this, David. You just couldn't tell. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, I admire your relationship with your wife. And I, I honestly, I, we're, we're going to talk about idolizing people 
Oh, yeah. But in a way, I kind of idolize that relationship you have with your wife. And now that with a podcast, you have turned on. Yeah. So let's kind of evolve into there because I look up to you and your wife. I don't have a relationship like that. And I, that's something like when I pray about having a relationship, I, I look at you guys. Yeah. And I know it's not always bed, it's not always roses. Yeah. And rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. And you, you hit it on the nose. And, and that's why I'm so glad you said a couple different things because, A, I, I don't believe in idolizing anybody, but I do believe in mentoring, right? I, we we want to have something to say, hey, I, I appreciate this. The same way we would in business, if you see someone that's successful in business or someone that has changed their body like you have, we want to say, what have they done so I can incorporate that success, but without putting them on a pedestal like they don't have any problems? So the fact of the matter is my wife taught me more about life, about business. She taught me more about love. She taught me more about faith. Um, she taught me more about my health than anybody ever. And we do fight quite often. And in the book, in the marriage uh, chapter, I say, look, it's not if you'll fight, it's how you'll fight. In other words, we know we're not going to get along sometimes because when you take two people who have grown up in for most of their adult lives and their youth, and then you put them in what was for better or worse, a box, which is your house. And now they're together every day. And we spend almost every waking minute together because we work together. So obviously the laws of nature are going to say, yeah, you're going to have times when you want to rip your hair out. There's times when my wife will just, she's like, I need to go. And she goes out on a walk. But the fact of the matter is we always come back together. And I think Tom, what we're looking for here is a relationship based on humility, based on trust. Those are the two biggest things. If, if you can really trust a person with your heart and you both know that you're in it for the long haul and commitment, then you know that it's not going anywhere. And then you have to be humble. You have to say, hey, you know what? There are going to be times when I'm going to have to be the bigger person and show up in a way where it's not always going to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's amazing you're saying that because I just started a new relationship with somebody and I'm 60 years old, you know, and she's 50 something. And we're both set in our ways. We both yeah. had, we both have a past. Some of it was good, some of it was ugly. And so now when you come together like that, it's, it's a challenge sometimes because I, I'm, you know, I, I, been in the Navy. I spent some time away from the United States. I've done a lot of things in my life that weren't, I'm not proud of, you know, yep. and I had idols and I looked at, you know, I used to look at, you know, like hanging out with, with bands and, you know, when I was working security and when I was a big boy, I was working security a lot. And, you know, I, 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 I looked up to those guys. I was people like, Oh man, I would get excited. Now I'm hanging out with them. So let's talk about turned on. Because this is where I'm going with all that garbage I just said. But this is amazing because when I first listened to your podcast, I was like, wow, this is fantastic. And I was like, this is, he's, he's this turned on. He's onto something here. Oh. So where did turned on come from? Okay, that's a good question. So again, and that's exactly what I was looking for. I was looking for something that could be so easily identified and so simple. And the premise of my book, when I lay out the turned on premise, it's exactly that. I wanted to make something, my whole life, I always thought life was so, if we can uncomplicate things and we can just talk in real terms, 
And that's what turn on was. It's a metaphor for flipping a switch. So when you walk into a room that's dark, there's one thing you have to do first before you do anything else if you want to be successful. And that you have to flip the switch and turn a light on. And the turn on is the easiest thing that anybody can do because think about it, a toddler can walk into a room and flip a light switch. But if you don't flip the switch and you don't illuminate the things in your life that need to be illuminated, what happens? You end up bumping into things. You're in the dark. You trip. You hurt yourself. And you take a lot longer to accomplish the things you need to accomplish. So when I was thinking about what I can do to to really get my point across, turn on was a concept that the genesis was I saw a picture of these kids in a food court. And there was like 10 or 11 teenagers in line and they all had their heads down looking at their phones except for one and when i used to do um these conferences and i was talking about public speaking in my in my career before i got into turned on my course was called speak up it was a matter of communication and i said guys you know if you're looking at this slide and you're looking for someone who is up for the relationship up for business who would you pick who is turned on And then everybody was like, that's easy. It's the girl who's got her head up. So exactly. So now if we can take that concept into our homes, into our, even into our bodies and our faith, turned on simply means who is not being seduced by technology? Who has their head up? They're alert. They're looking for relationships. They're looking for opportunities. And the fact of the matter is technology is good, but we're being lulled to sleep. We're being lulled to sleep and into this false sense of security. And even now with what's happening with the lockdown and and COVID-19, we're seeing people wake up and say, hey, I want to know more about how government works. I want to know more about how my body works. That's right, because you are lulled to sleep by watching, you know, binge watching TV, by scrolling. We were caught up in this artificial world instead of saying what's going on right here in front of us. So that's what turned on is. I love it. I love it. And the day I started reading your book, I bought it as soon as it went on sale on my Kindle. And I'm going to go and purchase a hard copy because I'd like to have it to mark up. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to share it with some people also. But one thing that struck me that day is that I was in a, having some complications with my new re- relationship. Yep. And I was driving home that morning from her house. And to go to work because my office is here. And God didn't tap me on the shoulder. He smacked me upside the head and said, go pull over and spend some time with me. Yeah. So I pulled over that morning and just, and I started talking. He says, no, I don't want you to talk. I want you to listen today. And he was talking to me. And I was like, that same night I picked up your book. And I started reading it and it hit me upside the head like a two by four, very hard. And it was, I am not, when I'm with her, I'm not giving myself a hundred percent to her because of this, this thing that we carry around with us. And, and I have to do something about it. If I, this is the relationship that I believe God put me in for a reason. If I want to keep that relationship and it was, this is when he was talking to me. I need to be more aware and more involved in what's going on. Yep. And the, the very first chapter is 
about who turned off the light. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's crazy because you say in there, my obedience to my work, my phone, my brand was making me disobedient to my wife, my children, and my sanity. Let's go there. Yeah. And, and, and again, it, it comes in that false sense of security, how we are lulled into this path of least resistance. And I actually interviewed a, I interviewed a Georgetown professor who's done many studies, and he basically said there's a dopamine response from our cell phones. And what happens is it's jeopardizing our relationships, whether it's with our children or with our spouses. When that phone is on the table, think about it, Tom. At any time, it could ding, ping, flash, ring, whatever you want, whatever your phone does. And it jeopardizes the concentration level we're having in, a, in real time with our, the person in front of us. And he says, human beings know this. Children know this. Your spouse know this. There's always that threat of our time could be interrupted. And we don't have the intention. So the, the main premises of Turned On in the book are presence, being present. When you are with somebody, be present. I talk about the time it was my wife and I's third anniversary. And it was the first time we were going out for a date in a long time because my mother-in-law was in town and we had this fit, you know, Angelique was back to her, her pre, pre shape, you know, after the baby, we go out to this fancy restaurant. It's overlooking the mountains in Arizona. The sun's coming down. It's a perfect scenario. And I sit down, Tom, and <laughs> subconsciously, I pull out my phone and start answering a text message. And my wife's a strong woman. She freaks out. She says, oh, no, no, no. She's like, what are you doing? And, and then I doubled down, Tom. I got defensive. I said, no, this is important. I need to do this. She's like, David. And then the waiter came over and she's like, we're going to need a minute. And you know what? You know <laughs> we're going to need a minute. And the waiter's face is like, I can tell. And here's where the humility comes in, Tom. Even though I got defensive at first, I realized, I go, she's right. Am I stupid? My wife looks beautiful. We're out to dinner. We haven't had alone time in months because the baby... And here's this gorgeous sunset. We're about to eat great food and have a glass of wine. And I pull out my cell phone. How inconsiderate and shallow can I be? And, and see, here's the thing. She called me out with love. Because when we're in a relationship, it's not, hey, I'm going to win this argument. She wanted to point something out. There's no winners in an argument. Even if somebody's right in their point, the fact of the matter is this was something that was wrong in our situation. So she did it with love. She's like, I'm not trying to chastise you. I'm not trying to say, hey, you're wrong and I'm right. All I'm trying to say is, David, if we don't nip this in the bud and we don't recognize what's going on, it's going to keep growing into our relationship. So a big theme in the book is awareness. We're, since this is a dopamine response to social media and, and cell phones and technology, it's, I, I, you know, he compared it and some people will. I don't want to slight anybody you know, who's addicted to drugs or alcohol, but a, a dopamine reaction in the body is very similar. It's an addiction. Right. And we really can't fight it on ourselves. We have to just be more aware of it. And when that time comes, say, you know what? You're right. I got to put this phone away. Sometimes, often now, I just give it to her or I don't take it. I leave it in the car or I tell her to put it in her purse or I turn it off. Or if I'm watching a movie with my kids, my kids even say, Dad, I don't want the phone even in the same room. So that's kind of what's going on, Tom. That's good. I mean, and we're, we're living that kind of a society today. Well, 
The statistics show that young people don't see a problem. Most of them, I, I, I throw out the statistics in the book. Most of them say when they're bored, the first thing they do is go to their phone. And then yeah. they don't see anything wrong with that. Why? Because everybody else is doing it. Yeah. When you walk through a food court and there's tables of teenagers, four of them at a table, and they're all sitting there on their phones, of course they don't think anything's wrong with it because they think this is how life should be. So how can we, Tom, as our generation, tell these young, younger kids and, and millennials or Gen, Gen Z and all these things, how yeah. can we say, look, life is better when it's lived in reality? And the fact of the matter is we are passing up on this, and I think there's going to be a, an enormous amount of regret not just for their generation, but for our generation. And there's nothing worse than regret. You know, there, Jim Rome once said, there's the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Discipline, you know, uh, weighs ounces while regret weighs pounds. And if you go to the, to the biblical part of that, Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline seems so pleasant at the time, but yet painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. So we go through this with the body, Tom. Right. If you're going past the break room at work and there's a set of donuts there or there's a pizza that somebody brought in, no discipline at the time seems pleasant. It's painful. So like, I want a donut. I want that pizza. But maybe I know it's not the best thing for me. So if you can overcome that later on, it produces that sense of righteousness and peace. Hey, I'm in control of my body. Yep. What comes in and what goes out. The same thing in your relationship with your girlfriend or your spouse. Hey, I'm in control of this. I have the decision right now to turn off the phone and turn on our communication. And that's what it comes down to. Let's talk about the is it four hallways. Yes. Yes. The four hallways. Let's, t- let's talk about those four hallways a little bit before we dig in deeper. Okay. So the reason my, my wife and I came up with the term hallways is it's kind of like the light switch in the room. But if you look at these four things, which is your faith walk, your marriage or relationship, if you look at your health journey in your body and you look at your career, I think we could all agree we want them to be long hallways. In other words, we want them to last a long time. It's not something you just walk into and it's a square box. It's a journey. Your health is different now, Tom, at our age than it was when we were 20, when our metabolism was sky high. Okay, a relationship and a marriage is different 20 years in than it is on your honeymoon, correct? Right. In your business, we know that when you start off, it's different than when you're, you know, 10, 20, 30 years into your career. So, with all those things, it's pretty obvious that you have to keep turning on a light. Like your marriage will go dim if you don't look for the lights. Your career and your body will go dim if you're not constantly looking for a light source, and that's where God comes in. But what happens is light bulbs burn out over time. If you light a fire, a fire goes dim if you don't give it what? More fuel. So the hallways are metaphors for, hey, we're not in this for the short game. I want to live a long time. I want to have a long relationship with my spouse. I want to have a long, fruitful, healthy, financially secure career. And I want to have a long walk with my maker. So that's why we describe them as hallways because they are, it's going to be a journey. That's a, that's a great metaphor. That's awesome. Because we can uh, see that and it's easy. Right. It's you easy. put that in your mind, you're like, okay, yeah, I got to keep... If you look at a hallway right now, it's lit up, but down the hall, you have to do the work and, right. and find the lights or else you'll be lost again. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. This is so spot on. It's amazing. I, that's why I was like when I read was reading this. You're an amazing writer. Thank you. And it it just like I love the way like this part where we'll get back to where we once belong, the Beatles. You gotta have some music. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, you do a lot of that in here. It's great. So Tom, let's look at that for a second. On on the next page after the Beatles, I talk about that Bruce Hornsby song that says that's just the way just it the is. Just the way it is. And and how, Tom, I'm going to ask you guys and the people listening, how many times have you heard that recently? Like, hey, that's just the way it is. Right. Even even with what's going on right now, oh, you know what? That's, that's just, just the way, way it is. is. have to be indoors and wear masks. No. that's We can't accept that's just the way it is. We're, right. we're human beings divinely created, and we have control over what our future looks like. Right. If you accept that's just the way it is, that's what, for better or lack, that's what socialism and communism is. This is the way it is. Deal with it. Be happy that you're, you know, you're here and you're getting taken care of. No, the American way is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the greatest amount of happiness that we want. So this is about self-discipline and self-responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have an answer to that one. It's just so, so spot on. It's, and, and people, it's sad because people actually live like that. And and you think it's okay, but and I know I get it. I get it. It's safe. And well, we've been told to water down our dreams. Here's the thing. That that's the thing. And and I'm not gonna knock on the easiest thing to do is to knock on different generations. The easiest thing to do is say, hey, we were better in our days. And throughout the book, I say, look, I don't want to be one of those guys that says, in my day. But the fact of the matter is in 2020. Human beings, we've done such a good job with technology that now we have time on our hands to realize that we're bored or we're not happy. In other words, if you look, Tom, at your great-grandfather or maybe your great-great-grandfather, their main focus each day was food, shelter, clothing. And that took up a majority. Up until this second technological revolution, you know, now these kids are like, well, I know I'm going to have a roof over my head. I, I can have food, no one's really going hungry in the United States anymore. I mean, sure, there are still people, but for the most part, and they have clothing. And life is now about, well, I'm bored. What can you do for me? So when we lose track of of how precious life is and that we actually have to work for things, that's when we have time to contemplate other things and frivolous things. So we need to get kind of back to being appreciative that we are waking up in the morning and we can breathe and that we can put our feet on the ground. And that we can walk and do the simple things, being appreciative for what we have. Yeah. Let's talk about the morning because turn on your day is very important. A lot yeah. of people get up and they look at their phone and they're like, oh, it's another day. And yes. I, the first part of the chapter two is turn on your day is, and this is an astounding number of people, 45 million, million people yeah. Google how to be happy. Yeah. So that's a sign. And in and, and this chapter, turn on your day, guys, I use the snooze button as a metaphor for everything in life. In other words, what is the snooze button? The snooze button on your alarm clock is only delaying the inevitable, right? It's giving you a little bit of extra time, but it's you're still going to have to wake up that day. You're still going to have to put your clothes on. You're still going to have to go to work. All the snooze button does is delay the inevitable. So how do we use that as a metaphor for life? Well, if you're thinking about starting a book, if you're thinking about losing weight, if you're thinking about 
of finding somebody like you are that's going to make a difference in your love life, why hit the snooze button? Why delay yourself with trivial things? Why not say, hey, today's the day I take action because sooner or later, I'm going to have to take action on my body. I I talk about those three things. If we don't and we hit the snooze button in the big hallways, this is what it looks like. You go into work one day and your boss says, well, we got to let you go because you hit the snooze button in life. If you're in a marriage, maybe you go one day and your spouse comes to you and said, hey, I'm out of here. You hit the snooze button. And certainly in your health, you walk into the doctor and he comes back in. He goes, we have some bad news for you. These are all metaphors for hitting what the metaphorical snooze button in your life. If you put your marriage or your relationship on cruise control and you say, I don't need to work at it anymore. My wife and I have a piece of paper that says we're married. So what if I let my body go? So what if I don't treat her nice Mm. anymore and I don't do the things I did when I was courting her? Or you say, hey, honey, wake me up, kind of. Take me off autopilot if something goes wrong in our marriage. Well, by the time that happens, sometimes it's too late, just like it's too late in your body. You know, 50% of the time, the first sign of heart disease is death. There is no snooze button. There is no wake-up call. (laughs) And, and, And I'm not saying that to scare people. I had an uncle who was 63. And he went down for a nap at three o'clock in the afternoon and never woke up. There, there was no warning sign. There was no shot fired across the bow. It was, hey, you know what? You didn't go to the doctor. You didn't take care of your heart. I mean, people, we need to wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. And so Don't the part the about that, starting your day that way, guys, is when you start your day with the birds, when you start your day with nature, it reminds you of God's presence in your life. Right. You know? He didn't say wake up and and go to Starbucks or wake up and get on your computer or your social media. If you just wake up 15 minutes before you're supposed to, and you could just take that time and go out and put your feet in the sand or in the grass and get some sunlight on your face, it does miraculous things for your health and your well-being. Just miraculous things. And it gives you peace of mind when you hear the birds. You're realizing that life isn't a 24-hour news cycle and that there are things out in nature that I need to appreciate. Yeah, I my day I have a daily habit of I go out and stand in a little piece of grass and ground myself first thing in the morning. Yeah. And I sometimes when I get off that track, I know it. You know, like if I don't do it one day, because then I go to my I go and journal and read read scripture to start my day because I and when I get off when I when those two things missing from that morning, my whole day is chaotic. You know, when you said you had to um, pull over that day and listen to God, he wanted you to listen. That's kind of what you're doing in the morning right there. Yeah. I mean, if, 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 and for those people who maybe don't do this or they, they think that's, you know, it's not for me, what I would ask you to do if you're listening is give it a try. You have nothing to lose. Like, just call my bluff on it, you know? Call my bluff and say, you know what? I'm going to prove that this does nothing, but I'm going to go out there for, for a, a week or 10 days. And I'm going to spend 15 minutes of my morning every morning in silence or listening to the birds with my bare feet in the grass or on the dirt. And I'm going to feel the sunshine on my face and just give it a try. And I guarantee you, you're going to you're going to come back and say, it's different. I'm, I'm better for it. Yeah, yeah you're 100 percent correct. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you frustrated with understanding your recent lab work? Does your primary care physician 
Say your labs are normal, but you still feel sick? Yeah, I've been there. I know that feeling. In my approach, when working with clients, my only concern is to achieve optimum results for you. I truly believe in a test-don't-guess philosophy and getting to the root cause of dysfunction in the body, which is why I created this free lab tracker report so that you can fully understand your lab results and start to feel exceptional again. To get my free lab tracker report, text REBEL to 66866. When you download my free lab tracker, you will finally understand how to decipher your optimal ranges for your lab work, why you aren't feeling well, even though your lab work is normal, which lab results actually matter, the truth about this will actually shock you. No more wondering what all those numbers actually mean. My free lab tracker helps you understand the results of your lab evaluations so that you can take action toward better health starting today. It will be a relief when you get it and no longer have to wonder what all those numbers actually mean. So, download my free lab tracker right now and take the first step to optimal health. Text REBEL to 66866. Again, that's REBEL to 66866. Enjoy the rest of the show. I really want to dive into the body. Okay. But before that, I want to talk about your connections and your, and your marriage because those, those two are very important for overall health. Yeah. And because for health to be optimal, you have to have that, that community around you and you have to have a, a partner that is, it's a healthy relationship. There's boundaries, there's health, because otherwise that starts that fight or flight syndrome inside of our bodies, which causes us to get disease. Yeah. So I think those two are very important before we dig into the actual body because we really need the connection. We need our marriage or our relationship. We need our family. We need that in our lives. Okay. So let's start with this. Um, one of the main themes is that we're all more alike than we are different. And that goes for people in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, but it even goes for our relationships that are closest to us. In other words, Tom, the relationship between you and your girlfriend, you're more alike than you are different. Now, that doesn't mean you're exactly alike. And take Angelique and I, for example. We would have never, ever been matched up in a compatibility. If we were like computer dating or one of these newfangled you know, uh, match.coms, we would have never been matched up because we are polar opposites and that makes us work. But we're more alike than we are different in, in the fact that we, we seek the same things. We seek peace. We seek tranquility in our relationship. We, we seek the feeling of, of being, feeling needed. That, that's a big thing, Tom. If we as husbands, boyfriends, wives, girlfriends, if, if we can make that other person realize that they're needed and appreciated, and these are basic concepts. Like, I'm not one of those people who thinks I'm reinventing the wheel. I'm reminding us of the simple things. The turn-on philosophy is to remind people of the simplest things that they can do to enhance their life. And one of the simplest things you can do in your relationships is communicate. Don't go to bed angry. 
Um, one of the biggest things my wife taught me and a, and a pastor friend of mine taught me is pray out loud with your spouse. Before I did this, I prayed every night and I prayed ritual prayers and I prayed them to myself. And then a, a pastor told us that we should pray out loud as a couple at night and with our children. And then my wife said, this is something we need to do. Here's what that does. It lets me know her intentions. It's a third party interaction. And the third party is God. And she is giving up herself to him. And I'm listening to her intentions. So it's not our father who art in heaven, even though that's a great prayer. My wife lays down and I lay down and she says, Heavenly Father, thank you for my husband. Thank you for his patience and his understanding today. Please bless his book. Please bless him with health. So she's interceding for me on behalf of our maker. I'm listening to this. It makes me know because she can't lie to God and say things that, you know, that's, that's kind of a hard thing to do is lie to God and say you want these things when you really don't. Furthermore, there's times when she asks for things that it's hard to ask me for. Just the opposite. When she sometimes praises my patience, sometimes she says, hey, God, could you please help my husband have a little bit more patience? <laughs> what that's doing, Tom, is she's interceding. She's letting me know through the third party, but I can hear that. So what that does for me in the communication part, it says, okay, if she's asking God for it, what she's really doing is asking me for it, and I can hear her. And I was kind of a jerk today. I wasn't patient. So that praying out loud, if you do it with your spouse or with your kids, it opens up this amazing kind of communication that is way better than even talking one-on-one -on -one to your spouse. And it's certainly better than doing ritualistic prayers at night. Mm, it changed powerful. everything for us. Yeah. It really did. I love the part on the in the marriage about, because I've been on those apps almost all last year. Yeah. and. You talked about the apps like Bumble and yeah, <laughs> and one thing last fall I was like, okay, I'm done with these, man. I'm done. My mom was ill, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna focus on. I'm just gonna focus on Tom, I'm, and I'm gonna be there for my mother the best I can be in her lasting days. And I got off of those, and I said when I was off of them, I, I you know, one of my conversations with God was like, okay, God, I'm gonna give this to you. Yeah. I'm giving this to you. I'm not going to look at these apps anymore. I'm not even going to bother with them. I'm going to wait for you to put somebody in my life. And I had a laugh at those apps because they are comical. Well, again, and here's the thing. Um, technology intrudes into every part of our life. It's intruding into the, the health fit and fitness craze with the Peloton at home bikes. And oh, that. yeah. It's intruding into our, our relationships and our love lives. But what happened is uh, technology has no conscience. Technology has no conscience. Therefore, it has no ability to know when there's an overreach. In other words, it doesn't have feelings, so it can overreach. And I'm not saying these things are bad, but at what point do we take the serendipity out of meeting? Well, at what point, um, like, like I said, and this is not my thought. This was a girl that we had come into our conference. Her name is Chengi Tobin, and she's a love expert. And you're going to get this, Tom. She talked about do better in terms of love. She goes, when my parents were being raised or my grandparents, they ended up being with somebody that was probably went to their high school, lived in their neighborhood, or was a mutual friend, right? 
Right. And in the book, I talk about LL Cool J, how he met his, his wife in a serendipitous drive down the street in the neighborhood. Now what we're having is we have the ability to see the world in our hands with these dating apps. So there's always this ability to do better. In other words, you meet somebody and they fill 80% of the things that you're looking for in a partner. In other words, 80% of the boxes they check off. But there's still a few things that they don't quite have that you really are looking for. You have the whole world dating possibilities in your palm of your hand. Maybe there's somebody in Australia who's 100% fit for me. Maybe there's somebody in you know, Wyoming or Canada or South America, whatever it may be, that is 100%. I could always do better. So I'm not going to give this person who fits 80% of the things I need a chance and work on those other 20%. Because I didn't check off all the boxes for my wife. I checked off 80%. And we worked on the 20% of things that, I, that she needed from me and vice versa. Right. And, and it's the same thing with our neighborhoods. Now that my wife and I can live anywhere we want and we can pull up an app and see any neighborhood in the country, we can see Google Maps and we can see all the statistics. Even though we're here in Tennessee and we love 80% of the things, I'm like, oh, but babe, look at the house we can get in Texas. But look at, the, look at the, uh, the landscaping over here in the beach you can get in California. Or look at the taxes down here in Florida. So there's always this ability to do better. And then we don't have the ability to concentrate where we're at. Right. Because we're always looking at life through the possibilities instead of working on what we have to work with. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And a lot of us do that. We chase that. It's, well, where does it end now that we have these right. endless possibilities? At some point, you have to say, no, Tennessee is my place. Maybe, this, maybe the roads aren't perfect yet. Uh, maybe there, maybe the, the rain is, rains a little bit too much. But you know what? Everything else is great. And I'm going to make it work. My wife, maybe she doesn't like the same type of music. The other night I was playing a, a live Beastie Boys show upstairs and my wife comes up. She's like, what is that awful noise? I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the Beastie Boys playing a live set. So, you, you know, that's a little thing. And we'll probably never agree on the Beastie Boys. But you know what I can? I can trust my wife. Right. I trust her in every situation. I know that she's a good mother and I know that if I'm sick, she'll take care of me. Way more important than the Beastie Boys. Right. Way more important. Yeah, I love the bad rap, the hip hop. You did a hip hop analogy in the and the marriage of bad rap. <laughs> make hip hop dope again. I really think we can make marriage dope again. I really do. We, I, I believe we can. And well, I, it's I, cyclical. When when, the, when this generation that has gone away from marriage, you know, when I said in the thing, when, when you get tired of the hookup apps, when you get tired of of the dating around and you know, there's, there's something that people will crave. And I think what happens is the pendulum kind of swings and it goes too far in the other direction. And people say, wait a minute, geez, my, you know, maybe it is better to be with one person. Maybe it is better to work on a marriage and, and create a life with somebody and build it rather than switching every couple of years. You know, and it turned me a long time to take me a long time to learn that lesson. Yeah. I didn't find Angelique till I was 37 and I bounced around and I hurt people. And I was hurt myself, and I did things that I wasn't proud of. But again, after a while, we realized this is where God needed me. This is this is where this is where He has me, and He put me here for a reason to tell other people. Yep. Like I said earlier, God doesn't really 
doesn't always just tap. Yeah. Sometimes it's a tap. Sometimes it's a a tug. And sometimes it's like, it's a yank. I got smacked upside the face. So you'll, you'll read this in the thing. So I prayed for a woman and I, I was a journalist, so I would journal. And I, and I got really frustrated with God one night and I scribbled down in my journal. I said, God, send me an angel. And I signed it my name, like almost aggressively writing. I goes, God, send me an angel. I'm tired of looking. And I wrote David Nori and I, there you go, God. There you go, big guy. There's my intentions. And I was at the worst part of my life. I was depressed. I, I, there was no woman in my life. I had just come out of an awful relationship and I get an assignment as a reporter to go interview this girl who is a fitness competitor. And I'm thinking, geez, this is the last person I want to go see. Some girl who's selfish, who's conceited all about her body, uh, has no, nothing going on in her life other than, you know, working out. I was, I was jaded. So forgive me for saying that. I interview her. She's saying things about her real job. She's saying things about her parents, how she loves. She's saying things about God, who she loves. And at the end of the interview, like every good reporter, I said, okay, let me just get the spelling of your name right. It's Angelique, right? That's A-N-G-E-L-I-Q-U-E. She goes, no, I'm Greek. And in the Greek, there's no Q in the Greek alphabet. So my name is spelled A-N-G-E-L-I-K-E. It sounds like angel-like. So to this day, Tom, People call our house. Someone called our house this morning and says, is angel-like there? So I prayed for God to send me an angel. Angel. Gives me a woman called angel-like, smacking me upside the head. And I still was almost too arrogant because I didn't want to give up partying with my guy friends. Wow. We We were engaged to get married. I have a beautiful girl who loves me, who wants to be my wife. And I tell her, hey, I'm still going to go out and party with the guys and come home drunk on weekends. And she's like, not my husband. Not, not, I'm not, I'm not going to be one of those wives that sits there and has my husband come home at three o'clock in the morning, drunk off his butt after partying with the guys. She goes, you can have friends, but that's not what a, that's not what a godly marriage is to me. So I almost threw it away. And what kept me, cause I was arrogant. I was arrogant, Tom. And she goes, before you leave this house, and she had taken off her she had taken off her engagement ring and she put it right on the table. She goes, "Before you leave this house and you walk out of my life forever, would you go upstairs with me and read the Bible?" And almost out of spite, I said, "Whatever. Sure." You know, and I folded my arms. And we went up there and she read the Bible for 2 hours to me, like I'd never heard it before, and we never were apart since that time. She saved the marriage by challenging me to read scripture. She saved the marriage because I was stubborn. I was stubborn and she could have walked away and had any other guy she wanted to. But something told her to save the marriage and thank God because it changed my life completely. But that's when God smacks us on the head and we have to be aware, just like you said. Yeah, exactly. I love that you use the, uh, some Greek stuff in, in the marriage chapter too, like heroes. And- yeah, so the Greeks have six different terms for love. And, and, you know, and we need to realize because some of those are very frivolous, you know, and they're like at the dating stages. And some of those are, are more serious. They talk about self-love and, they, and then they talk about a godly love and an unselfish love. And that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for, we're, if we're going to make marriage have a comeback and we're going to make the world have a comeback, because I believe that our society comes back when we, when we strengthen marriage again, 
we strengthen the family. And when we strengthen the family, we strengthen the neighborhoods, we strengthen the cities, we strengthen the countries. So if we want marriage to have a comeback, we're going to have to have a godly form of marriage. 100%. I, yeah, 100%. And, and I think that's something that gets left out a lot lately is God. It does. And, and my wife always says, he's knocking, on, he's knocking on our lives saying, put me in. You know, hey, like, like put me in, coach. Like, I'm ready to play. He wants to be a part of our lives. He's there. And, and the fact of the matter is most people will go to bed at night praying to God saying, I, I want a change in my life. I want a better body. God, I need, I need an answer to my health problems. God, I need an answer to my career dilemma. Right. God, I need an answer to save my, my marriage or my romance. They, they say these things. And then the next day when they get up, they go right back to being a drone, right back to having their head in their phone, uh, right back to their old habits. And God's saying, hey, I'm here. But I can't come pick you up off the couch and do all these things for you. You have to meet me halfway. You have to seek me out first. And it wasn't until I started seeking God in my love life, seeking him in my career, and seeking him into my health journey that things started to fruit, be fruitful and multiple. Yeah, yeah I, like, I love that, all that. And, I, and this is where I want to turn to the body because one of the things I've learned through this path of, of my wellness until today and i and i'm struggling trying to get my business going but every time i turn around and and ask god whether i should shut my business down or not he's like no you you have a purpose yeah. and i look at the body I, I god made our bodies amazing yeah he would, he didn't forget anything in our bodies and granted, there's some people out there that, like, I have a nephew who all his innards are reversed. I, I, so his heart's on his left side. Wow. Everything's reversed. But there's one, there's a basketball player. I don't know if you know who it is, but there was, I don't remember his name, but there was a basketball player in the NBA that had the same thing, yep. but, but went on to live a, a fruitful life. And the problem today is, and God, in his intimate, Wisdom made our bodies so that given the white environment will heal itself. Yeah. And, you know, you start off the chapter here about people are being fed by the food industry that pays no attention to the health and is treated by the health industry who pays no attention to food. And Unfortunately, I mean, doctors get, I'm not, allopathic doctors get into, go to school to be a doctor because they want to help people. Yeah. And it's not their fault that Big Pharma owns most of the medical schools. Yeah. Or has their hands in the, deep in the pockets of the medical schools. So nutrition is not taught. And, but we need to realize that, like myself, I was diagnosed with metabolic syndrome which is a collection of diseases. And my dad passed away of that disease at the age of 64. And when I was diagnosed, I threw all, all five prescriptions in the trash in front of my doctor. Yep. And he looked at me like I was, had a third eye. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to fix this myself. And I'd start, that's when I started. And that's when I got into the multi-level marketing company that we both that you were a part of. And, and 
And then I kind of went on. I went on. I went in to be a health coach. And then I decided that that wasn't enough. I wasn't happy enough with just being a health coach. I wanted to learn what, what caused those diseases or functions in our body to be disrupt. And so let's go into the turning your body on because this is very important. Okay. So what I ask people to do is I ask people simply to see with new eyes and listen with new ears. And, and I, and I, I got to make a very important distinction. You know, this is just stuff that's, it's my opinion, but I'm an I'm a ob- observationist, I guess you would call it. I, I observe people. So I, I don't give definites here. I know not everything is absolute. People today want to talk in terms of absolute, black and white. I just ask them to be, hey, let's just be, use common sense and observe things. So if I'm looking at common sense and I'm observing things, one of the questions I ask is exactly what you just said. I go, do you or anybody in your family know somebody who has a Ziploc bag full of prescription pills? I've been around people in my family. I've been around other people. They, they, I've been in their kitchens and I see them pull out a, a big, gigantic Ziploc bag and there's seven or eight or nine bottles of prescriptions. And all I say is let's use common sense. Can that be really good? Is it really good to be putting all those things in your body? And then my both my in-laws passed away from cancer. So my mother-in-law, she was only 60 when she had can- breast cancer. And I used to take her to chemotherapy. And so being an observer and just using common sense, I said, hey, it's two o'clock on a Tuesday and I'm dropping her off at chemotherapy and they have four valets out there running cars. This looks like a busy restaurant on a Friday night. That something's not right there. <laughs> something's not right when we have a valet car service running cars constantly on a Tuesday. And then I know a little bit about health and I know that cancer feeds on glucose. And I know that when they, when they test for cancer, that they inject glucose into the body wherever it goes. If it goes right to the cancer, that's where they have, they spot it. That's how they do the cancer test. So when my mother-in-law has stage four cancer, and I go to visit her at the hospital, and I say, what did they feed you today, mom? And she says, they fed me spaghetti. Uh. My common sense says, that's pure glucose. And they're feeding this, nutri- just like the beginning of that chapter. The, the, the health industry knows nothing about nutrition. Why would they be feeding a stage four cancer patient spaghetti? That's not going to cure. A stage four cancer patient should be on like a keto diet. That, I mean, that's what I've read. That's what I've heard. The almost, almost no carbs, almost complete protein to treat cancer. And, and spaghetti, no nutritional value. They're giving her pasta. So I just say, hey, look, I'm not a doctor. And I know just like Washington, D.C., Tom, I know most people go into medicine and most people go into politics with very altruistic ideas. They want to save the world. I'm going to Washington because I want to change the way it works. I'm going into medicine because I want to help people. And after a while, money, politics, and regulations start to change the way people feel. And I know doctors aren't allowed to get kickbacks from from pharmaceutical companies. And I say just the same way that the mob's not allowed to own hotels in Las Vegas, right? Right. Come on now. I mean, and it's just out there for, for a discussion. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you have some alternative point of views. And it's not one broad stroke that I'm saying this with, because I know my biggest thing is be an advocate for your own health. Be an advocate for your own health. Don't just do what somebody tells you to do. Research it. 
That's one of the benefits of technology. We have the ability to do our own research. Right. So be an advocate for your own health. Simple as that. And to the point there is that even Google, if you research on Google, which I, Google has changed their whatever that algorithms, yeah, yeah algorithms to t- take the good, the good stuff and put it all the way to the bottom. And so I use DuckDuckGo because it, it has, eventually I'm sure Google will buy DuckDuckGo. But right now, if you put in DuckDuckGo, you see some real dirt on what that actually. That's why I came to the realization because like now, like if you want to Google anything on this virus, anything about vaccines and you just Google it, the first 10, 10 or 11 search engines will be the CDC you know, it'll it'll be uh, the World Health Organization. You, even even for this book, going back to the chapter on love, I started to research stuff about the online dating services, and I found an article that says people who meet online have much healthier marriages and a lower rate of divorce. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And then I looked at the source, and the source of that article was Match dot com. So what you're seeing is. Check the source. Where is your information coming from? Information and misinformation is the war of the 21st century. We have to be, we can't just look at the first thing we see and take it for a gospel. Exactly. And, and, and it happens a lot. Let's talk about our bodies. As a, I like the part where you say our bodies are an investment. And I think, I yeah. think that's key because if you're going to invest in, in pharmaceuticals, which aren't cheap. Yeah. And you're going to invest in, in, a, in an allopathic physician. I think you might just step back and say, okay, let me invest in something better. Let me invest in something that, you know, is not good, is more conscious of what actually isn't going on in my body instead of, okay, here's your diagnosis, here's a pill. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, if you go to the organic section of your grocery store, it's typically way more expensive, you right. know. I mean, let's look at fast food. That we, we live in a culture where everything is sometimes all you can eat, or you know, if you go to the dollar menu items, you know, how are we feeding? How where is the profit margin? If you're, and I'm just going to say, chicken nuggets, not any particular store's chicken nuggets, but if you're selling seven to ten chicken nuggets and they're a dollar, you know, again, using common sense, where is the profit margin for the company if it's a dollar? Right, you got to think. What kind of chicken is that that I'm getting? Where they're selling it to me for a dollar, and they're they got to make some type of profit on that. Common sense would tell you it's probably not good. So if we look at our bodies as an investment, it's an investment not only in your health, but it's an investment in what you can do with it. Um, There's a very harsh kind of part where I I talk to a pastor who is overweight, and he asked me, says, "Do you think that I would?" be more effective and I would lead more people if I lost weight. That's a tough question. And I said, are we being honest here? And he said, yeah, be honest with me. I said, yeah, I, I think so. I think, I think if, look, we can say politically correct things. We can say things, but it's just like if I come to pick you up in my car and your car is has trash all around it and it's in bad shape and it's sputtering, it's making weird noises. It's a reflection on how well you've taken care of it. And I can say, well, this, I shouldn't pass judgment on this person's car, but 
common sense will tell me that you're gonna. So if you are living in a vessel which you're not taking care of and it's out of shape and it's out of control, to ask somebody to not pass judgment on that, it's great. In a perfect world, yeah. And I realize everybody has different body styles, right? I, I know that not everybody's supposed to be a size two and not every guy's supposed to have a 32-inch waist. However, let's, let's not be so PC that we're taking the personal responsibility out of it. In other words, and it comes down to an economic discussion. If I take care of my body and, and I don't grab those donuts in the break room and I do get up to walk every day, but my insurance is twice as high because you made a decision to grab the donuts and stay at home. And now they want to have this universal insurance where I'm paying for you, maybe because you're smoking cigarettes. Common sense will tell you it's just not fair. Now, everyone wants to inject political correctness into that. No, because it, it's an infringement on my right to take away more of my money to pay for somebody who, who doesn't have the personal responsibility that I do. And, right. and again, that might ruffle some feathers, but there you go. That's how I feel. Well, it's, I, I like to put it with a, you know, like a Chevelle, like a, like a 67 Chevelle. Okay. You know, if you have a 67 Chevelle today, it's probably worth, and it's in good shape. It's probably worth $30,000. Easy. Maybe easy. Matter of fact, there used to be a Chevelle show right down the road from you every June, but they stopped doing it. My cousin's got a 69 and it's worth 90. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've got a guy with a 67. He's, he's probably worth 80 or 90 now. But if you put cheap gas in that, yeah. if you feed that with a Kroger gas that's 10, 10 cents off with a if yeah. you have a Kroger card, it's going to run like shit. Yeah. So if you're feeding your body chicken McNuggets, yeah. how do you expect it to function? Right. Yeah. And there's great stuff in the book um, that I quote from uh, the movie Food Matters and David Wolf. Who's oh. And he's like, you know, he goes, we have, he goes, it takes the same amount of effort to put that, that junk, you know, that, that chemical soup in your mouth as it does a superfood. He goes, but somewhere along the way, someone sold us on the idea that we should invest more in a car, invest more in a house or this purse or these shoes, rather than investing more in putting the best things into our, our bodies. It's a, it's a, it's a reversal of, of, of common sense. And, and, it's, and when you look about it, you're like thinking, yeah, why would I spend this money to do that? But yet the body that I'm responsible for, that I wake up with every day, that takes me around and I'm putting junk into that. You know, why, why would I not invest just as much into my body? Yeah, you know, our bodies are a temple. And I like what you said here about Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27 in the book too. But uh, therefore I do not run like something, therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to a body or to my body and make it my slave. So after... I have preached to others. I, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. Right, because you want to win the race. So, right. So, um, you know, this scripture speaks to me because if we look at the biblical times, you know, they, they talk about stewarding your wealth. They talk about stewarding your body. You know, stewarding basically means responsibility. You know, there's a lot of Christians who have a problem with, with biblical principles of money, but it's there. Christ talks about stewarding your wealth. He doesn't, you know, people that are in debt, 
can't do anything for the, for the kingdom because you're constantly trying to get out of debt. Same thing with your body. You have to steward your body. It's a gift. It's, you know, if, if we look in the Old Testament, um, I think there's the, the same word for blood is the same word for money because it talks about a circulation and health in a way. So we need money to circulate for a healthy economy, just like you need a healthy blood flow to circulate in your body for a healthy body. So all these biblical principles are there. Um, and we just have to look at them. Uh, we're supposed to be strong. Um, we talk about pro- a Proverbs, uh, a Proverbs 31 girl woman. She girds her arms with strength. You know, the Bible has plenty of talk about the body and what it means to be healthy. We just have to search for it. Yeah. Yep. And now we got, to, and I want to go into the Peloton before we close this out, but okay. interesting machine and it serves a purpose. Yes. But it also is missing some key points and you bring them out great in the book. So let's talk about the Peloton bike. Okay. And, and again, um, I'm just going to tell people, I'm not saying it's, I'm not taking, I'm just asking you to think about this. And I do have a lot of experience because I was a, I was a cycling instructor indoor. I want to make sure I'm clear on that. I was basically, I, I started teaching spin cycling classes and I did it for the better part of 18 years, seven days a week sometimes two or three classes a day. What I noticed during my classes is the community. So what we're happening, we're talking about communion. We need to have people in communion. Not everything could be virtual. And in the book, I use a C.S. Lewis quote, and he says, the surest path to hell is a gradual one. Because what happens is nobody says, hey, I'm going to quit my gym membership and stop being around people in group exercising. All of these technological advancements come in the form of convenience. So maybe the first time you're like, hey, I'm pretty busy. I'm going to get this Peloton bike just for the times when I can't make it to the gym. And then it works out pretty good. And it feels like you're in a real exercise class. But then what happens is then you're like, I'm not really busy today, but I just don't feel like getting in the car. I don't feel like driving the 10, 15 minutes to the gym. I don't feel like doing that. So I'm just going to do Peloton again and again and again. And before you know it, people start to get this feeling of maybe depression or isolation, and they can't pinpoint when it happened. It happened because you stopped associating with people. You, you, I mean, how long can we stay in our houses now? Everything could be delivered. We have to be able to get outdoors and interact with people. We have to be in communion with people. We have to smell them. I say in the book, I said, hey, even though you might not think it's good to smell somebody next to you in class, no, it is good. We have to use our senses, smell, touch. And, and, there's nothing wrong with having a Peloton bike or an exercise mirror. It's when we relegate our entire lives to the virtualness that we're going to have this overwhelming feeling of depression because we missed out on human communication and interaction and real humanity. Yep, exactly. And I and we talked about community a little bit earlier, but it's important. You know, I, I know myself. I sit here. I get up in the morning. I do my thing. I come in my office. I turn on my laptop, and I sit here all day. I work from home. Yep. We become I go to the gym for community. Yeah. And think about how sedentary we are, though, Tom, because I'm in the same boat. I mean, when we've become a largely, you know, our society was very much industrial, people working physical jobs in plants for the right. most part of the early part of the 20th century. Um, before that, it was agricultural. You're literally up all day working on a farm. You don't see any overweight farmers for the most part, right? Because it's no. manual labor. Now we're sedentary. Most of our time we're sitting here doing this. 
And we, if we don't tell ourselves to get up and just go up and down the stairs a couple of times, do some jumping jacks, get outdoors, then we realize that, hey, our bodies is sitting there the whole day. It's not good. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's do this. Before we close out, is there anything else you'd like to add about your book that I didn't cover or some takeaways for the listeners? You know, I just want to, the, the, the very first quote in the book that I use is by a theologian named Howard Washington Thurman. And I like to close out the podcast with it because it really sets the stage for everything that we just talked about. And he says this, he says, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go and do it because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. In other words, don't ask what everybody wants you to do or what you think people are supposed to do. What is your jam? What, what makes your spirit come alive? What gets you excited to get out of bed every day? And when you identify that, then go out and do it because that's what the world needs. More people who are excited about life, not more people who are like, oh my God, I'm bored or things aren't working out for me. Do something that motivates you. That's turned on. All right. What about uh, places? To, I'm, I'm going to have you send me some links, but yeah. Where? So the easiest way to find the book is turnedon.com. So you'll see the podcast there, um, and you'll see the book there, and we have some courses there. But for the book specifically, it's turnedon.com forward slash book. Okay. Turnedon.com forward slash book, and you could easily order it on Kindle or paperback from Amazon. And I'm going to put that in my toolbox on my website. I have your podcast already in my toolbox for my favorite podcast. Thank you. Because that's definitely in my rotation. I like uh, Quote of the Day show with Sean Croxton is one of my morning rituals. Thank you. And then your podcast when it comes out. And before we go, and you being a musicologist, yeah. if David Norrie had 30 to 45 minutes to kill, yeah. what album or artist would you put on to listen to? I can only pick one. Yeah, one today. <laughs> Jeez, that's a good one. This might, sh I don't know if it'll shock you because I've often asked myself this question. I really love, I really love the Bob Marley Exodus album. Like I'm a, <sighs> I just, if, if I, if I have a, uh, if I have a go-to, something about reggae just makes me feel there's, there's a piece about it. There's a spirituality about it. There's a upbeat feeling about it. it. It makes me want to move my body. You know, if I'm if I'm sitting here looking, it would be, it would be easy to be able to say Dave Brubeck. It would be easy to say uh, Led Zeppelin Four. It would be easy to say um, you know Frank Sinatra's greatest hits. But I would say Exodus, man. Exodus, it's a, a great our album. I love Bob Marley. I, I agree with you, but there's something about reggae that makes you just want to be happy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a universal feeling. I, I don't, I don't think anybody can sit there and put on a reggae song and and not just bob your head or tap your feet a little bit. And it, right. it's something with it with a steel drum. Uh, the steel drum is one of those unique instruments that just kind of it, it makes you feel almost like you're on a beach and and you're and you're ready to be in communion with other people and God. Right. Oh, one more thing I wanted to bring up: turned on class. You have a class coming up. Yeah, so we do something called the Turned On Method, and I do that I do that four-week course with my wife, and that's biblical principles of business, marriage, health, and family. Okay, great. And that's on the website as well, turnedon.com. 
Yep. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. And God I bless you. Much love to you and your wife and the kids. Thank you. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.